idea the other day when all the NCAA football return chatter was flying around I came up with a brilliant idea this spring I started muting every single account that promotes a tweet any promoted tweet I would mute that account and as of today today Monday I've muted about 2300 accounts in the last like month or month and a half my goal is an ad free Twitter so you say impossible right you say to me there are a few hundred million active Twitter accounts and the number is somewhere between 300 and 400 million daily active Twitter accounts. And what, like thousands of those accounts promote tweets probably? I don't know what the number is. 500,000 promote tweets, a million accounts promote tweets regularly. And you say that's a waste of my two to three minutes per day. And I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, but I can spare the 90 seconds. And here is the ultimate solution. Here's the idea I came up with. You know how in NCAA football, you can upload current rosters to the game, even though the game hasn't been produced in so many years, but you can upload current rosters, and that's how the game has always been played. Back in the day, even when it was like Clemson quarterback number 12, you could get the the active rosters for that team each year. And I haven't played the game in forever, so I don't know how it currently works. I know back in the day, you'd buy like a memory card or send out a card or something like that and have the current rosters loaded into your game. Because, again, it was always like Clemson quarterback number 10, USC running back number 4, and that's still how it is from what I understand the last game that was produced. So you'd, like, pay for the memory card, or I'm guessing now you just download it easily. What if there was a Twitter download like that? Like, how much would you pay for that? I know there have been some ad-free Twitter apps tested and some sketchy workarounds like that. You can find those around. But it seems like none of those are even close to reliable. But if there was some sort of plug-in type app, supplemental app, or downloadable list with all of the muted accounts who sponsor. Like, somehow whenever an account submits a promoted tweet, this software is able to automatically mute it on your account. How much would you pay for that? Would you pay for that monthly, like a few bucks a month to have an ad-free Twitter? I don't know. Something to think about. Andrew Doughty here on the High Motor Podcast. It's going to be a short episode. Like I said last week, if you listen to that episode with Ted Slauson from The Perfect Bid, it's just going to be a shorter episode for the time being with the baby situation. And hey, thanks of you, thanks to those of you who sent notes. Much appreciated. She's doing well. Gained a lot of weight in the last week. So that was extremely important. Doing everything she needs to do to get home next couple of weeks. So another shorter episode today. But another great one. Melora Harden on the show. Jan Levinson, I presume. Like I said last week, it was Ted Slauson talking Perfect Bid documentary. And we're staying in showbiz this week with Melora Harden. So let's get it humming here on the High Motor Podcast. Melora Harden, kind enough to drop by the show today. And Melora, I was thinking about the other day and this this podcast interview came at the perfect time this is going to sound super bizarre but just just bear with me here if you will so my wife and I we had our first baby a couple weeks ago and while our daughter while she was like literally exiting the womb I was I was up top I wasn't watching anything but while she was literally exiting the womb I thought about you and here's why so you were on the worst podcast ever that was I think that was like two or three months ago you were on that show. And you told this story about, I think you were like in a role and you were being requested to scream during childbirth. And you said something to the effect of, that's not really what happens. There's usually not bloody murder screaming, right? You said something like that? Right. Yeah, so as as my child was emerging, I thought of you because of how calm like the situation was. I was 
absolutely petrified. It was the scariest moment of my life. It was a completely shitty situation, but my wife wasn't screaming like at all. She wasn't enjoying herself, but she wasn't screaming bloody murder. So there's that. You made it you made it into the memory of my daughter's first seconds of life. It was an absolute pleasure having you there. Well, I so appreciate that uh, that, that somehow I was uh, a positive influence on the birth of your child. So uh, during that episode of the worst podcast ever, I I learned that you I didn't know this. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that I didn't know this. You were cast in Back to the Future, and then you were dropped after Michael J. Fox was cast. And I had no clue. How did that go down? Did somebody just call you and say, you're out? Uh, yeah, Bob Speckis and Bob Gale called me, and I was 17 years old, and they were super sweet, and they just said, you know, we love you, and we think you're so talented, and, you know, it's just that... Uh, you know, uh, you're too tall for the for Dead Michael Bay Fox, and we so wish that we could keep you. We think you're such a wonderful actress, and we definitely are going to use you again on something else. And they sent me a giant bouquet of flowers and an apology. You know, they were just saying, we love you, and we're so sorry. And I was like in floods of tears and felt terrible about it. It was a two-picture deal at that time, you know, because they knew they were making Back to the Future 1 and 2, and uh, it was crushing. It was crushingly sad, but um, that was that. In public, I'm curious, do people still mostly recognize you and associate you with Jan? Or as you get deeper in, like, the bull type, for example, is Jacqueline Carlyle brought up more now? Um, yeah, there's a little more of that, but yes, it's still, I mean, every day there's you know, somebody about the office, but yes, more and more, the, um, Jacqueline, uh, you know, just the other day I was at a, I went to an Ethiopian restaurant and, you know, these two lovely young Ethiopian ladies were like, oh, oh my God, Jacqueline, it's Jacqueline. So, no, that's really cute. Um, I think that's happened to me like twice, but I would say that every single day <laughs> something about the office comes up. Um, and yeah, more and more people are recognizing me for, for the both sides, so that's great. So with more and more people then, do you get asked more and more in public about, like, orgasms and butt facials and dildos now more than before you got the after, uh, the, the bold type? <laughs> people don't ask those questions, and, you know, it's too embarrassing to ask that. <laughs> I remember Jeff Daniels said during an interview how fascinating it would be to put some of his characters just, like, at a dinner table, like Harry Dunn and Will McAvoy and others. Like, what would a conversation between... Jan Levinson and Jacqueline Carlyle look like? If you put Jan and Jacqueline in a room with several bottles of wine, what's going to happen? Um, well, I think that I think Jan would be highly jealous of Jacqueline, but I think that, you know, she would cover it by being extremely um, officious and kind of bulldozing the room. And I think she'd also probably be a floppy drunk, whereas I think that Jacqueline would be very graceful and she would, you know, I think be turned off by Jan, but I think would have empathy for her. I think she would, she would understand that Jan really had to become bulldozery like that because she was pushing through the, 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 the incredible brick walls that, you know, the glass ceiling that she had to, you know, fight coming up the ranks in a man's world. And, and I think that, um, so I, I do think Jacqueline would have empathy, and I think she would also have, you know, an incredible kind of insight and knowingness into why she was the way she was. So I think I think she'd sort of sit back and let Jan take the room. Do you like 
playing... I know they're, they're very different characters, obviously, but do you like playing one or the other more, or is it just different? Oh, God, no. I mean, yeah, they're, they're different. I mean, Jen was just such a joy in so many ways, you know, because she, she was so... She was so flawed, and that made her so juicy and wonderful for me, because I had I had a lot of understanding for her. I, I love her. And so it, it always a little offensive to me when people say Jan's a bitch, because I'm like, Jan's not a bitch. You know, Jan's just... She's just trying to do the best she can. I, I, you know, I have a lot of empathy for her. I love her, you know. And Jacqueline is, you know, she's super amazing because she's, she's so much softer and she's so much more evolved and she's so, you know, she sort of makes the right decisions because she has so much integrity. She has, like, so much integrity and grace that, that that's, a, that's a really beautiful thing to tap into all the time, too. And, and sort of even when she's challenged, she kind of, you know, the way that she tries to work through things that are that are hard is really such an inspiration. It's an inspiration to play that kind of a character and to create that character that, you know, is, a, is an inspiration for, for other women. So, you know, but it's the same with, like, Tammy Cashman on Transparent. You know, she was such an incredible character to play. I, you know, I I just love, I love all my characters. I, you know, they're, they're, they're really wonderful. They're deep and they're rich. So you mentioned that people will will say that they think Jan is a bitch, and then you almost have to defend her. Do you find yourself defending like your your fictional character's actions in real life? Uh, no, I don't. I don't do that. I just inside. I just sort of always. I you know. I don't. I don't. I'm not going to go through it with people. People's experience of her on the outside is really different than my internal experience of her. You know, I don't really mind that people feel that way. It's just like I get kind of like, and I get why they feel that way. They're watching. They're watching her, and they have their. They're making their decisions based on the whole dramatic arc of the of the the scene or the season with all the characters interacting. And so I totally get it. It's just like in real life, right? You can be hanging out with somebody and you think that they're a total asshole and then you find out that you know they just lost their parents or they just got a a really horrible divorce kind of like oh i get it why they were acting like that it's not really because of me it it was just because they're hurting and they're in pain and you know and and so i guess i don't really i don't really take it personally i just sort of think oh you know it's interesting that my experience of her is so different than people's experience watching and I know you said, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, you said you don't think an office reboot is a great idea. You think that like a movie or multiple movies would just make more sense uh, for the storyline. But do you think that a reboot will actually happen? I have no idea. I mean, nobody's reached out to me to talk to me about that. So I wouldn't, you know, me, me speculating on that would just be like you speculating on that. I have no idea. I, I think a movie would be super fun because I think you would get everybody to come to come and do it. I think if you do a reboot of the TV show, you're going to have to recast everybody pretty much, um, barring maybe some of the, I think, integral and important, but more side characters. You might, you might get some of those back, which would be awesome, and they're amazing, uh, for sure. But I think that, you know, if you want to get Steve, and you want to get Ed, and you want to get Rain, and you want to get John, and, you know, you want to get me, and you want to get Jenna, and you want to get, you know, Holly, you, like, you want to get all those people... I think you want to you wanna do a movie. I think it's more fun. I think you get really good. You get the whole cast back together again. What would Jan be? So I know we're, gosh, what, six, seven years removed now, something like that from Jan's last appearance. What would Jan be doing right now, do you think? I think Jan has probably moved. Maybe she's moved, like, right outside of New York. Maybe she's in New Jersey. 
I think she has another job. I think she's working. And um, but I think she's married. I think she's married, and I think she's got Astrid. Probably married to kind of a loser, but someone who kind of adores her and thinks he like won the lottery, you know, by getting her. Yeah, I don't think she's particularly happy. I don't think she knows how to make herself happy. I don't think she. I don't think she knows what what really true happiness is. So I think she's probably. Um, she could be divorced. She could have been married and divorced. That's possible too. As I said, he thinks he won the lottery by you know getting Jan because she's beautiful and she's you know you know kind of was a high powered executive and like so he's kind of still chasing her and she's like no. I could totally see that, too. See, and I thought you would just respond with something like, I don't know, but clearly you have sat down and wrote out a 100-page plot point for Jan seven years later. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking about it off the cuff, but that's, that's, that's the reality of her. I mean, that's just, that's just me off the cuff. Does Steve Carell really have coffee breath? I don't remember. I really, really don't remember. So you don't remember that, but like, but anybody that you've ever kissed in a show or a movie, have you ever kissed somebody on camera who does have horrendous breath? No, no. I think men, men and women are both really conscious of that. You know, when they're when they're working together, you know, they they're always spraying their breath with like breath stuff. <laughs> Everyone's trying to be considerate of each other. I've never worked with anyone that's a total asshole and doesn't want to try to make it pleasant. Throughout your career, have you ever sat in a casting room and you see an actress walk in like once or repeatedly? I'm guessing you've been in the same room over your career with, with a lot of the same actresses for the same roles, and somebody walks in and you think, you know, God damn it, she'd be really great for this role. I mean, I think there have been times when I've thought, like, that person maybe is better for this part than me. Um, sure, there have been times when I've thought that, but I don't know. But if, if it was somebody that, like, I felt like I was, you know, really right for the role and they kind of walk in and I felt like they're equally as right for the role, then I think that would just ignite my competitive nature, which is just like, I'm going to get the part. <laughs> that would be where I would go with it, I think. Have you ever regretted taking a role? Um, let's see. Not really that I can think of. No, I mean, I think I've, there's certainly been roles that were just, at a time that I needed to make some money or something like that, uh, which I wouldn't say are like the greatest, you know, greatest experiences of my life, but they were served a purpose at the time. You know, I would say some are, you know, some are creative decisions because they're amazing or amazing people or amazing material or lots of money. I mean, there's got to be a reason, and sometimes it's not, it's not uh, creatively like the most incredible thing, but. Things are different now, but I mean, looking back in my career, I would say that there, there were certainly times that I would, I would do something because by necessity, you know, because I needed to. And as far as regretting that part, I mean, I've certainly worked with people that were unpleasant to work with, and you know, and um, you know, maybe should have, you know, removed myself from that situation. But I wasn't really in a position that I felt I could at that time. And now, I, I mean, I just wouldn't work with anyone that wasn't professional and fun to work with but when you're younger and you're figuring stuff out you, you don't necessarily have a lot of power to change things i don't know if i'd say regret though because i think i learned a lot from even the bad experience so let me flip it on you you said that when back to the future happened you were 17 years old and you were in a lot of tears and it took a while to 
to get over that. Was there ever a point in which you remember, you know, auditioning for a role or going out for a role that you, you really thought you had a good shot at and you wanted it so badly? I guess what's a role that you wanted so badly that you didn't end up getting? Oh my God, there was a, there was an amazing movie that were two really cool independent movies when I was in my 20s. I don't know that either of them got made, but one of them may have. There was one that was like a Joan of Arc uh, character. It was, I think it was Joan of Arc. I don't know if they ever made this movie, and I don't know if it was the one that they did make was the movie, you know, what it was the one that I wanted so badly, but it was, it was a foreign, you know, foreign person, and I mean, I was, I was determined, you know, I wanted that part. I was so connected to the, to the idea of Joan of Arc and the writing, the script was just written beautifully and I loved the character and I worked so hard on it it was like really, uh, I think I got really, really close and I didn't get it. But there's been so many things like that. I mean, I can't even, I can't even, I wouldn't even be able to tell you how many things, you know. I mean, as an actor, you have to be so resilient because you're mostly not getting things. You know, that's the way it is in the business. You're mostly not getting stuff. And, um, you know, I've been extremely fortunate and I've worked a ton all through my life as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, as a woman. I've been able to, I've managed to consistently work and that's really rare. That's, that's really, really rare and, and I'm incredibly grateful and I, you know, I say that, you know, some of that is for sure talent and some of that is luck, you know, and I, and I do believe that luck is when preparation and opportunity meet. I think that's a great definition definition of luck. But I, you know, I, I think that, uh, yeah, I can't even, I couldn't even tell you how many. There's been many times that I've been in tears because something didn't go the way I wanted it to. And I worked really hard and I was really right for it. It was between me and somebody else and the other person got it. I mean, it was between me and Terry Hatcher for Lois and Clark. And she got it. But I was just, it was just the two of us at that point, you know. And that would have. That would have been an interesting thing. I was, I loved that part. Back then, you know, at that time in my life, I was, I thought that would be, would have been super fun. That was, that was upsetting, but it didn't go my way. But it didn't. And, you know, and, and I think also when you kind of go on with your life, you realize that those doors that close are kind of, um, in a way, if you're an optimist like me, you kind of realize that, that if, if I had done Rose and Clark, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't have done the office. And the office really, set the stage for me in, in so many ways. So you, last thing for you. So you don't feel like, I know that there's a lot of talk about being typecasted. Um, like I listened to Jenna Fisher's audiobook, for example, and she said that The Office was amazing for her. The one downside is that people have a hard time not seeing her as Pam Beasley or like in her show Splitting Up Together, they're all mad because she wasn't with John Krasinski in the show. So it seems like The Office didn't at all pigeonhole you for your career because people saw you as Jan Levinson. Is that accurate? Oh, yeah, no, that hasn't happened. I mean, you know, I went from that. I did Tammy Cashman and Transparent, which couldn't have been more different. Um, I think Zaplin is incredibly different. You know, I, I think that, um, yeah, that hasn't, that hasn't happened to me. Okay, that's Melora Harden, the bold type, wrapping up season three in the next couple of weeks. Hey, congrats on the fourth season renewal. Awesome news, and best of luck with everything. I really appreciate the time today. I also just wanted to mention that I'm doing, uh, I did an episode of A Million Little Things last year uh, on ABC, and I'm, uh, I'm recurring on that this season, so that's kind of exciting, too, and talk about, you just mentioned about typecasting, and I just want to say she, she couldn't be more different, but uh, the best of me, that's going to be super fun. I'm doing, I think I'm doing about four or five episodes on uh, A Million Little Things on ABC, so everybody should watch that, too, because she's 
super fun character, and I think the storyline seems really exciting. Awesome. Um, yeah, thank you for that. We'll, we'll definitely check it out. And uh, again, I really appreciate the time today. Hope all goes well. All right, thanks so much. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter because deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met. How you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in